So welcome back to True Crime Tea Time. I'm your host, Randy Peavy, and today I have Jacqueline back to spill the tea. Final episode about the Golden State Killer. Are you excited? This is the best part, in my opinion. <laughs> this is this is the part that's, like, the most exciting to me. Yeah, me too. Um, so obviously a disclaimer, just like the previous three episodes... So this episode will discuss details about rape, burglary, stalking, um, not as much like big details, but it will discuss that. Um, so Jacqueline, are you ready to spill the true crime tea today? I'm always ready. All right. So time for a beverage. <laughs> yes. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So on the last episode... We talked about the original Night Stalker and his crimes, and, you know, we kind of ended with his last crime, um, and that was on May 4th of 1986, just to kind of remind everyone. Um, but, of course, like the other cases in different areas, like that case still, like, haunted the people living in that area. They were, you know, they still thought about it. They still, you know, were kind of worried because... He just all of a sudden stopped. Like, it wasn't like something happened to make him stop. Like, it, they just stopped. So, yeah, people were so worried that, like, he was going to show back up and things like that. Right. I would be so scared. Like, could you imagine all of this stuff is happening in your town and it stops, but he's not been captured. So now you're just sitting waiting for the next crime to be committed. Well, and even though, like, they didn't link the... Um, East Area Rapist to the original Night Stalker, like that stuff happened with the East Area Rapist, like he would disappear for a little bit and then come back. Yeah. You know, people, I'm sure people heard about it and they were probably like hopefully this isn't like that or you know, whatever. Yeah. Oof. Scary. So, you know, this was in the 80s and I think we maybe talked a little bit last time about like in 1985 is when they had just started to develop, like, DNA processes. Right. And so as, you know, time passed, they came up with new technology. DNA was continuing to be processed and filed, so they could eventually, you know, use them to find people who've committed crimes, like, even in the past and moving forward. And even though the original Night Stalker was careful, you know, not to get caught by people, the times that he was confronted, he killed them. <laughs> so, he was not careful in other aspects. Um, right. Obviously, we've talked about he would eat and drink and, like, stuff like that. So he left his DNA. All over the place. All the crime scenes. <laughs> yeah. For sure, like, multiple crime scenes. And how crazy is that to, like, at the time, nowadays, you would be, like, so crazed about cleaning up after your crime scene because DNA is so... It's a thing now, right? And it's, like, the first thing you think of, like, did did you get DNA? Um, but back then, it, like, that's why there were so many kill serial killers, like, to feel like in the 70s, because, like, you couldn't, like, how are they going to find me, you know? Well, it's not like, you know, a fingerprint, which is very easy to just put on gloves and you don't leave fingerprints. Like, right. You can get DNA from anything now, hair, Yeah, yeah and it, it, it can be so little. Like, it's him... To say he drank out of the milk carton, right? And yep. it's like the residue from his lips on the milk carton. They can collect that DNA. That is so wild to me. It's crazy. Yeah. 
So in the 90s, Northern California and Southern California both were like processing this DNA from the East Area Rapist and the original Night Stalker cases in hopes of like finding some sort of a match, adding it to their databases, things like that. However, both places use different technology. Oh, so, so it wasn't like coming up as a match right away. Yes. <sighs> so it wasn't actually until 2001 that they discovered that the DNA from the East Area Rapist crime cases was the same DNA as the person from the original Night Stalker cases. I can't believe it took that long. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that feels so recent. I mean, I know it's not now. Like Later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. 2001, it does not seem like that long ago, you know, but... No. God. That's crazy. And for us to not be that far where, like, everybody is using the same technology in 2001... I know. Like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't there be just a standard, because, like, CODIS is the one I think they use now. Yeah. Most places use CODIS or whatever. Yeah. And that's the standard. It's like, like, how stupid are you not to use just one if you want to, yeah, you know what I mean. Part of me wonders if it was, like, a battle between, you know, our technology is more superior than theirs. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was that. So, and I'm sure, like, you know, the there were more crimes that were committed in Northern California. And I mean, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but like where the crimes were committed in Southern California were like smaller areas. Yeah. Sacramento was the one that was processing the stuff for Northern California. And like Sacramento is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, Goleta is close to Santa Barbara, but like Santa Barbara's not, it's not LA. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so like maybe that was why they had different technology, like more money, more resources, I don't yeah, know. That's but be true. They ended up concluding that the crimes were linked together, and that was around that time is kind of when they started calling him the Golden State Killer. Mhm. So, throughout, you know, from when he last committed a crime in 86 to or when he first started committing the crimes to like when he, he was caught Ultimately. So throughout, like, the 40 years from when his crime started to, you know, when they stopped, or to current, I guess, um, it was being investigated by a bunch of people, like, retired law enforcement people, current detectives, to, you know, people like you and me at home. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of people came up with their own theories about, like, the killer, like, who he was as a person, um, who, you know, where he might live. Like, they came up with all sorts of theories. Yeah. And as we also know, there were several books written about him. Um, a couple that, like, I came across that sounded kind of fun. Um, Frozen in Fear. That was actually written by one of his victims. Whoa, I didn't know a victim wrote a book. Um, the Case of the Golden State Killer. They Creep Among Us. <laughs> I liked the name of that one. That is terrifying, but also true. <laughs> Darkness with me. That sounds like a fun podcast name. That is a fun podcast name. So anyone wants to use it. Yeah. And then most famous, which I think both of us read, was I'll Be Out in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Yeah, um, and then we watched the documentary, the HBO documentary, yep. too. Yeah. And <clears throat> that documentary has made me realize there were so many internet sleuths that 
were obsessed with the Golden State Killer case. And it makes me want to look up um, the Zodiac Killer and see to see, like, what internetting is being done about that and what other crazy theories are about that. Because sometimes I, I can go down, like, a Reddit rabbit hole of, like, information, and I haven't done it with Zodiac yet because I know it's just going to take a lot of my time. <laughs> and now it's, like, there's so many resources to use to, like... Find this stuff. There's so many people that do it, but like sometimes a different perspective is good. Like, yeah, they might find something else that other people wouldn't find. There was another um, like crime. I don't remember what like they called him, but it was a guy that was like killing cats and like videotaping it. Do you know which one I'm talking about? And oh then he, God, yeah, hey, don't fuck with like, cats. Like, person, yeah, yeah, that that um. Documentary is where it was like, these people are like not crazy. They're like, so good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, that yeah. documentary was so insane. Um, I think I think I mean you and I obviously are into true crime, and I listen to podcasts like crazy. And you know, Crime Junkie is my like most consistent one that I listen to. And they like do like a if anybody has information, which I feel like is a call out to like. You internet sleuths, like, we need to find this person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Definitely. So there's a detective or an investigator. His name is Paul Holes, um, and he's a cold case investigator and DNA expert from the Contra Costa Sheriff's Office. And he ends up, you know, being involved with some of these books. I know he spent a lot of time working with Michelle McNamara on her book, and He's the person that ultimately, like, comes up with this plan to try and figure out who it is. Yeah. And that's how how we find out. <laughs> um, and he, like, people did some interviews with him and things like that. And he said that the public interest in people writing books are obviously, you know, a positive thing. But sometimes it can be a catch-22 because it can get really overwhelming to see, receive so many tips that might not actually be viable tips, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, people's personal theories, things like that. Um, I mean, some people had really good information, but then I can't imagine just getting a slew of, like, these random one-off, like, things. <laughs> I think it's my neighbor. Oh, my God. That would be so annoying. <laughs> and you know they have to follow up on all of those tips because it's like, yeah. what if it is? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So when he ended up retiring, he had to shut down his contact with the public investigators because it was too hard for him to like, he still was interested in this and he still kind of wanted to do it on the side, but it yeah. was just too hard for him to like focus on it. Wow. So kind of his theory from all of his investigation was that the Golden State Killer was just, you know, a normal person at this time living a regular life. Um, he's, he thought he was probably married, had kids, maybe he even had grandchildren. Um, his neighbors would think that he was a good person. And he compared him to Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, okay. who we know about, but he, it was a person that, you know, binded and tortured people and then would kill them. But on the flip side of that, when they ended up catching him, like, he was involved very heavily with his church. He was married. Like, he would go to his kids', you know, events at school and stuff. So it's just crazy that... And that always kind of ends up who it is, too. Like, the um, Chris Wallace case, which I know you had a podcast on. 
Yeah. Um, how he was pretty much a normal dude with a normal family, and then he slaughtered his whole family. And it's like, he all of his neighbors were like, not Chris Wallace. He was such a nice man. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's like, how does this happen? It's also oh scary. Because yeah. Like, yeah, because your next door neighbor could be a serial killer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they could be living above you, Randy, right now. I mean, the person above me is dead, so... <laughs> That almost made me spit my drink out. Don't you remember the one time when we yeah. got drunk on the patio? Yeah. And then we tried to accidentally get in her her place. I will never forget. And then we were so relieved. Well, I was when you go, it's okay, she's dead. And I was so <laughs> relieved <laughs> that we were terrifying a stranger in the middle of the world. Right. I can't imagine. Nope, nope, she's dead. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. She was old, guys. It's not like... She yeah. died a tragic death. It wasn't. Although I did find out that, like, somebody killed themselves in this building. Oh, your building's definitely haunted. Well, yeah. My cat sees ghosts all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul kind of comes up with an idea. So, with, you know, all of the different things that we have now, you know, you can get your DNA tested yourself. Like, you can... Spin in a little tube and send it in and find I'm out. I'm doing it today. I did it. Did you do it? <laughs> did it a long time ago. Which one did uh, you do? I did the Ancestry one. I got 23 and Me on Prime Day. Oh. It just showed up today, so after this, well, I can't drink. I have to not drink or eat for 30 minutes and then spit into a cup, so maybe I'm doing it tomorrow, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he comes up with the idea of possibly taking the DNA they have on file from the Golden State Killer and running it through a internet website called GEDmatch. Actually, just ran mine through there today when I was, like, researching killer family. <laughs> but it's a tool that is, is used by people in the public for, like, DNA and genealogy resources. So they yeah. can, like, put their DNA in and... Um, find out if they have a long-lost sister or whatever. Um, one thing that was interesting when I was putting mine in is you could take two different peoples and see if you guys are math, like if you're oh, related. That's crazy. Sad because, like, what if someone was adopted and did it with, like, their parents? Oh, my God. Or their parent. What if somebody was dating a cousin of theirs and they didn't know? No. There's a part out there where you could take your parents and find out if they're they're Related. <laughs> oh, the self should not do that. <laughs> so he decided to take that information and run it through the program. And maybe there would be somebody that is somehow linked to the killer. And he'd be able to trace it back to the suspect. Of course, there weren't any direct matches. That guy would be an idiot if he was oh going God, to do what me. Idiot. Could you imagine? I don't think he's that dumb. Grandpa, <laughs> we got you 23 and me for Christmas. We just want to know our genealogy. I really he isn't dumb. Like, he is smart because mm -hmm. he was a thing then, so he didn't think he was, you know, not hiding himself. Right. So there weren't any direct matches, but ever, however, after a few days, he ends up having a list of possible relatives. How so, many do you know? 
It doesn't say how many, but it did take them a really long time. Like, they went all the way back to 1800. Oh, like, wow. Great, great, great grandfather or something. Yeah. So, oh, my God. So they'd have to sort through so, like, many, like, trees. Well, yeah. Him and his team ended up completing or building around 25 different family trees that went back to the 1800s to try to Whoa. see if they could figure it out. And, of course, I mean, I'm assuming, but, like, on Ancestry, it'll tell you, like, this is your third cousin. Like, it'll tell you how you're possibly related. Yeah. So, I'm assuming that that's how this is. Whoa. So, ultimately, once they, like, compared the family trees and all of that, they came up with a list, a short list of five males that were connected to California and were around the right age of the person they were looking for. And so the investigators began to follow one specific man. Uh, I believe he was 74 at the time. It's Joseph James D'Angelo. And they were, you know, hoping to follow him. So he tossed out, like, something, a cup with his, you know, saliva on it or something that could possibly have his DNA on it. Yeah. Uh, and when I was reading, what I thought was interesting is as long as they, like, it was something he discarded publicly like he threw it in a public trash can or something oh interesting it's completely legal for them to take yeah, I was it gonna say, I feel like, I feel like do you need a warrant to search through someone's trash bin no yeah i think you do okay. so as long as it was like tossed out somewhere public it was totally fine for them to take it yeah um and then if it did test positive they had probable cause to get a warrant to actually, yeah. like, subpoena the DNA or whatever it would be. I don't know all the technical terms. I just feel like <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> so, that's right. <laughs> on April 24th of 2018, they saw D'Angelo tossing like, out, like, a tissue or something like that. They didn't really go into details and a lot of, it was, like, a item. Like, they wouldn't say what it was. Some place said tissue, but I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. Um, so they ended up confiscating that, test it, and confirm that he is a match. Oh, my God. Could you imagine being the people that, ha- like, ran it through, pushed, like, click, and it goes, ding, it's a match. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, mind is blown. I know. <laughs> like, all of ours is. <laughs> oh, my God. So they end up obtaining a second sample, which confirms that he's the Golden State Killer. And that one, I don't think they got a warrant for that either. Like, I feel like they followed him again and, like, got another sample just to seal the deal, which probably is a good thing because if anything we know, if anything went wrong with, like, the search warrant or how they got it or something, like, he could get off on it. Right. Yeah. We don't want that. (laughs) I'm sure they have to be so, so careful. So, a little bit of a background about him, because now we know how they caught him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in New York. He graduated high school in 1964, and he was a decorated vet who served in the Vietnam War um, for two years in the Navy. Oh. He was previously engaged to a woman. Her name at the time was Bonnie Caldwell, and... She ends up being, like, more involved in the case than she ever thought she would be when he's arrested. And the reason behind that is because one of the victims at the time remembered hearing him say, like, I hate you, Bonnie, and 
things like that when he was attacking her. Whoa, don't marry her then, bro. Like, don't kill people. Just, like, break up with Bonnie. That's the whole thing. They never got married. Oh. So they got engaged, and then she broke off the engagement. Oh, he was Yeah, I wonder if that was, like, where all of this started. Yeah, that, like, triggered the serial killer in him. And so with, like, that information... That's kind of what led investigators to investigate D'Angelo before investigating those other four people. Uh Uh-huh. Because he was linked to, like, this Bonnie person. Yeah. And Bonnie said, like, she doesn't accept that she's to blame, which, I mean, it wasn't really her fault. Who knows? Their, you know, fiancé is going to go crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, he probably was a shitty, mean guy. You know what I mean? Like, because he's killing people, right? Obviously he's angry, but, like... If you, like, are dating somebody, you're going to see them all the time. And it probably just turned out, like, I don't like you. So I'm yeah. going to roll. And then, like, you know, broke his heart. I we're young. I mean, you know, things yeah. happen. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, she obviously can relate to the victims. And she's sorry for what's happened to them. So then um, Joseph also had earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. This is my favorite part. (laughs) And he worked for the Exeter Police Department, as well as the Auburn Police Department in California. That's so fucked. (laughs) So he was a police officer. Yeah. And eventually he ended up being fired from the Auburn Police Department for shoplifting. He stole a can of dog repellent and a hammer. I remember that. (laughs) And then he, like, when he was caught, he was married. He has three kids. His wife is a retired divorce lawyer. Um, And after he had worked as a police officer, got fired, he ended up moving on and working for the same company for 27 years before he retired. So, um, sorry, the... Dog repellent sticks out to me because I heard that and I was like, oh, I didn't know that that existed. It's just like mace for dogs, basically. And one day, like very shortly after hearing about the dog repellent, this is the other reason why it sticks out in my brain, is outside of my house, I found a can of dog repellent. (laughs) I'm not lying. And I was like, what the fuck? I was so freaked out until I realized it probably was just the mailman's. So then I just, like, put it in our mailbox for the mailman to retrieve it, and he took it. So that's okay. when I was like, oh, mailman, uh, carry dog repellent. Thank God, because I don't want to get murdered. Sorry, what? I guess that makes sense that, like, a mailman would carry dog repellent. Yes. Yes. But, like, should it be available to everyone? I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everybody has guns, too, so I don't know. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> I don't know, I just but think it's a lot of people use that for, you know, bad things. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Right. <laughs> so, though the statute of limitations on the rape cases had passed, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, he still raped people, and some of those people are still alive. Like, yeah. he should be charged for it. But regardless, he was tried for 26 charges, and thir- which ended up being 13 counts of murder. So a lot of them were, like, 13 counts of murder and kidnapping or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And I think yeah. the kidnapping 
boiled down to the fact that, like, he tied people up, you know? (laughs) So when he was questioned by the authorities, basically he said, and this is kind of like a quote from what I read, I did all that. I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me, or he went through me. He made me. He went through me. It was like in my head. He's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things and destroyed their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. So he's like saying he's like one else in his head. Yeah. I don't believe it. (laughs) I don't either. I think he's like trying to set up a case for like insanity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I mean, he was, if that was the case, other people around him would have like, Seen it. Had some sort of inkling that, like, something was off with him. Yeah. So. Yeah, Jerry would have come out at fucking Thanksgiving or something. Do you know what I mean? Like. Exactly. (laughs) Or, like, his wife would have known. His kids would have known something. Totally. Yeah. So, instead of trying for the death penalty, prosecutors end up coming to a plea deal with him in which he will... They're pleading that he would serve life in prison without the possibility of parole instead of the death penalty. Right. So just recently, this last summer, um, in June of 2020, the case ends up being heard by the Sacramento Sacramento courts. I cannot speak today. (laughs) Sacramento courts. (laughs) And it's over three hours that the prosecutors go, like, through all the details of robberies, murders, rapes, like all of the different things that happened. All, what, 116 of them or something. Oh, my God. That took, what, it took three hours to send. Yeah. What a long day for everybody in that room. And to listen to, I mean, if people are listening to this podcast back-to-back, they're hearing it, but yeah, three hours of, like, hearing all of the details, that's a lot. Yeah. And, like, ugh. Some humor. <laughs> yeah. It's like gut wrenching too. Back, ugh. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I could. I'd be very interested to be in that room to hear everything that went down, but. I think you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. So before we sat down to talk about this, I was watching the, like, a victim statements and then his statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and then the it's very short. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think you can see it all on YouTube. I haven't watched all of it yet, but I kind of want to know. <laughs> yeah. So when they had the trial, basically they're going over the uh, cases that are open in 11 counties. Um, but only six counties actually brought forth formal charges. And that was Sacramento... Contra Costa, Orange County, Santa Barbara. I just realized I spelled that wrong. Um, <laughs> Lair, I think I'm saying that right. And then Ventura County. Yeah. And in his like formal sentencing, which you can find on YouTube, like I mentioned, his sister ends up writing a letter and she says, my love for you will never go away, but my sadness is overwhelming. <laughs> And she ends up blaming their father 
for being like a womanizer and an abusive father and like that's part of the reason why this happened. I mean, she's not wrong. I'm sure that that had some sort of something, but like he murdered people, so <laughs> he's to blame. You know what and, I mean? And we were talking about the other day that book the a child called it or something. Oh my God. Like if oh anyone God. if anyone's gonna kill people, it's gonna be that kid. That kid. Do I want to like doesn't he do like um what am I trying to think of? Like motivational speeches now or something. Does he? I was gonna say I haven't looked I haven't looked that guy up since I read the book and I read the book probably in like eighth grade or something. But Susan, I'm very curious to know what that guy does now. That's another whole side tangent we can talk about another time. I mean like nobody should hit their kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. But if 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 his dad just hit him once or twice, that yeah. got it a lot worse. Right, no shit. Ugh. So I don't know. I don't take that as an excuse either. Yeah. And his niece ended up writing about I guess his niece like came and lived with them for a while because her dad was kind of abusive. Yeah. And she, she writes a letter about how normal her life was when she moved in with them and how kind and loving they were to her. And, you know, other relatives go on talking about how kind and loving he was and how shocked they were to hear about that. And during his speech, the only response he has is saying he's sorry. Like, that's literally all this. <laughs> I mean, at least he's sorry. I mean, sometimes you hear these things and, like, he could have been like, and I'd do it again, you know what I mean? And it's like, uh, that would be, like, so scary. But, like, as you're watching it and you're watching the people say what happened to them, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but, like, you just the look on his face, like, doesn't seem like he's very remorseful. Yeah. So, in contrast, (laughs) I can't breathe. (laughs) COVID? (laughs) So, in contrast to, like, what his family said, the victims end up writing or talking about how their lives changed, how the lives of their families even changed, and the impact that it had on their lives in an attempt for them to, like, recover from what happened. Like, some people said, I've had five German Shepherds throughout my life because I was scared, and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. One of the victims talks about the police officer that end up, ended up coming to the scene of the crime, and... He was, like, talking to her and looked at her, and then he just put his head down, and he was crying. And he was telling her that he had been patrolling the area that night in hopes of preventing one more person from becoming a victim. Like, the saddest thing. That is so sad. (laughs) And she talks about, you know, how she's moved on from it, but now that he is caught, she came forward. She had to come forward to people in her family or in her personal life that – never actually knew that this had happened to her. Yeah. Could you imagine like being a victim of something like that? And I'm sure, I'm sure victims go through this all the time or survivors, whatever you're supposed to call them. But, um, where you finally build a new life of a bunch of people that don't know anything about whatever trauma it is that you went through and you get to like live freely. And then, and then it's like, fine. and then all of a sudden, like, yes, it kind of gets brought up again. And like, <sighs> that sucks. So she ended up having to tell, her child about it. Want her? I think it was a son. She didn't want her son to like find out in the papers that right. they had mom. Yeah. And another victim talks about how she didn't plan on testifying. She didn't want to come in, 
Um, and some people like could write letters and they would read them out loud. Yeah. But she decided that she needed to come in and be strong and show her granddaughter that it's important to be strong and stand up. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there is one part that's really funny, and <laughs> I mean, amongst all this, yeah. that's funny. And one of the victims was, you know, actually, I think it was, I don't know if it was one of the victims or family member, but <laughs> they were talking about how um, they thought that maybe it was his way of, um, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It was his way of making up for the fact that he had a small penis. <laughs> and you could hear it all. And I was just like, girl, you are. <laughs> You're so right. And he's just sitting there like. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so that I've been trying to figure out when to say this part in this podcast. But now you just opened the door for me. But so, you know, he there even I live in Ventura County. So um, it was a big thing here. And I have a friend that works at the DA office for Ventura County. And, um, he was telling me that he actually got to see the penis pictures <laughs> and he does in fact have the smallest dick he's ever seen. Yeah. I don't know if this guy's seen a lot of dicks, but <laughs> he said that it was super, super small. And I'm like, whoa, I just love having that confirmation. Like, but, but of course his dick is small. Like, he has to compensate somehow. That's the word I was trying to think of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. So another thing that was like kind of sad listening to the victim statements and things like that was listening to some of the family members who were giving statements on behalf of their family members who had passed away mm-hmm. and they like passed away before he was caught. And a lot of them were talking about the impact on the entire family and the struggles of their own wounds being reopened when he got caught. And one of them talked about her life during the time that the Golden State Killer was targeting their neighborhood. They ended up getting a dog. I think she was, like, four years younger than her sister. And so their family got a dog. They never slept with the windows open. Like, their dad added additional locks to the house to try and protect them and things like that. And then her sister ended up getting married and moving out of the house. And the house that they ended up moving into was one of the houses that he targeted. And they ended up becoming victims. So, like, just blows my mind. Like, was he watching them when they lived at the other house? Oh, my God. Who knows? At this point, nobody knows. Oh, my God. And so the woman's sister was attacked, and the sister's dead now. She died of cancer or something. Oh, my God. And so she got attacked, and then a month after that, he like, continued to torment them by calling the house and, like, harassing them. Oh, my God, that's so rude. So this poor woman, like, probably spent her whole life in fear after that happened to her, and then she died. That fucking sucks. So after hearing all the victim statements and his very short I'm sorry statement, they move on to the sentencing, and Joseph D'Angelo his plea is accepted, and he's sentenced to multiple consecutive life terms, which covers 13 murders and 13 counts of kidnapping. So, Crazy. he's in prison. Uh, forever. For life. <laughs> oh my and I'm glad. I can't believe they found him. Like, 
He I almost like, got away with all of it, you know. Well, and he's old. <laughs> like, how old was he when they picked him up? You said 74? Four, and that was like two years ago, so. Yeah. 76 now? Damn. I wonder what it was like for him when the cops, like, rolled up on his house. Like, because he probably was just like, all right. Well, um, yeah. What do you think he would have done? I mean, he's going to be like, it wasn't me. And right. be like, what are you talking about? It wasn't me. You don't even know right. why I'm here. <laughs> I wonder how that all went down. I wonder if we can find information about how, like, the actual arrest went down. I don't know. That would be interesting. Now but... that he's been, like, caught and captured, I wonder if he'll end up giving interviews or anything. I don't know. Part of me doesn't feel like he will. Yeah. I, I doubt it. I feel like, and this is just very little that I had been watching, but I feel like his actual personality versus the personality of the masked man that committed the crimes mm-hmm. are the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's kind of, like, shy and quiet almost. Yeah. But then, like, you know, when he did get caught, some of his neighbors said, like, oh, he's a nice guy. Like, sometimes he has a little bit of a temper and yell, but, like, he was all right. So, I don't know. I don't either. I'm very curious. I wonder what his kids think. I'm sure somebody in his family will end up writing a book of some kind. Like, that will happen, right? Like, there was the one time that I found Daddy's chest of jewelry. (laughs) Yeah, could you imagine? Like, did he keep all this stuff? Yeah. Does he have it in just, like, fucking plastic tubs in his garage? It's just stored? Like, you would store your fucking Christmas ornaments? It's like Dexter that has, like, the, the chest with the stuff. Oh, yeah, with the... Huh? <gasps> I don't know. This case is exhausting. I feel so bad for all of the families. <laughs> like, um, but I'm so glad he was caught, and I hope that that DNA technology, uh, you know, in the future catches... Some other bad people. <laughs> and I hope we don't find out that either of us are related to murderers. Yeah, I will let you know as soon as I get my results. It takes like two to three weeks, right? And I, I will be running it through Jen, whatever you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. The second I get it. And I, I even think- texted my dad and I was like, you better tell me now <laughs> if we have a serial killer in the family. My stepdad did one. Um a couple months back, and his took a while. His took, like, six to eight weeks to get, so. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, when he, like, sent it in, I told him afterwards, I'm like, by the way, did I ever tell you about the case? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> he didn't seem too concerned, so I think we're good. But. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we close the episode? No, I just hope that there could be some unanswered or questions, some answered to, what am I trying to say? I hope some people get some, like, closure and get some answers and all that because they caught him, and I hope that, I don't know, that's what I hope. (laughs) I hope that there can be, like, I don't know, I hope he can give people some sort of answers besides Jerry's in my head, like. Yeah. I think people deserve more answers than that. And like you said, maybe he will come out and, like... Yeah, because I feel like there's probably a lot of victims that are like, why me, you know? Like, what else is he going to do? He's just going to sit in jail until he dies, so... I know, I hope he fucking writes a book. 
<laughs> you imagine. It'll be, it'll be like old day, except it'll be like how I did it. <laughs> how I did it, not if I did it. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you, Jacqueline, for being on the episode today. I'm glad we're finally done with this one and we don't have nightmares anymore about <laughs> you know, stalkers and killers. Um, uh, and, uh, we'll see you on the next episode, but in the meantime, um, check out our social medias on Instagram and Twitter. So it's True Crime Tea Time. True Crime, the letter T, and then time. Um, and I will post some some funny memes. I have a great picture of Jacqueline from last time when I told her some <laughs> news uh, about the case. So I'll post that. And otherwise, we'll see you next time.